1: to start listening.
0: America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP.
2: Sunday to all of you out there. Welcome into the City tequila studios for MLB Overtime Betting Greg Peterson coming at you as we've got another tremendous podcast for you. Patrick Creighton of ESPN 975 out in Houston, Texas, and SP Nation Radio's National Network. Gonna be joining me in the second segment. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Houston Astros, a little bit about the league in general, some of the impact players. In baseball and just heavy favorites in general, that's gonna be fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas spending board and something I like to call Touch Em All. First things first, got a couple Twitter questions into the Twitter mailbag. You can always tweet those in at unit underscore one Do not DM them, I will not see them, but If you tweet them into the timeline, they will get answered, and these got sent to the timeline, so let's give you guys some answers.
0: So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag.
2: Belgian Frank at B-E-L-G-I-A-N underscore F-R-A-N-C at Score one And this has been slightly edited, because if I wouldn't, it would be completely unreadable. Hey Greg, curious if you calculate CLV on all your plays, that stands for closing line value that does not stand for something like cheesy leaf vegetables seems like you get the best number most of the time and this is something that you obviously always want to be getting the best line no ifs ands or buts about that I don't necessarily calculate it per se because let's face it I do so many plays that if I were to go back every single time make a separate spreadsheet look through every single one of the lines and everything like that well I don't get a lot of sleep to start out with. I would be getting even less sleep if I did that, but it is something that I always pay attention to. I always take a look to see in the San Francisco Giants versus Oakland A's game. I got over eight at minus 115. It closed at... Over eight and a half at even, or something like that, or over eight at minus 110. You take a look, you learn from it, you try to do the best job possible, being able to get that best line, and you just take a look back and you try to find out tendencies and where you went right, where you went wrong. Sometimes it's like, I should have waited a little bit longer. Sometimes you take a look at it, and it's like, man. Miss my opportunity, should have jumped on that line sooner. And sometimes you just reflect on the fact that you got a good line, pat yourself on the back and move on. So it is something that I do certainly look at. It's just one of those situations where it is not something where I'm like tracking it on a spreadsheet, but always know that closing line value has a lot to do with the amount of units that you make and lose. If you're getting good closing line value, you're probably doing a very good job of being able to make money in general because let's face it, in the end, As long as you're doing a solid job of picking, if you're getting good lines, you're going to be profitable. James Greenwell, at James greenwell 12 asks, at g and square one, do you take into account the umpire behind the plate when handicapping games? This is one in which I say no, because for one, we've noticed that umpire trends have been drying up a little bit. There's a new system in baseball where they do evaluate these umps. Obviously, there are some guys that still have a little bit of a customized style, but I noticed that just all baseball umpires suck. I think I've actually explained this on the podcast a few times already, but it's one of those things where I just always go under the assumption that the home plate umpire is doing everything possible to hurt my bet and I must overcome it. That's just the way that I personally look at it. I know that there are some people that they swear by umpire trends. I don't recommend betting based on umpire trends because let's face it, there are... Just sometimes some anomalies because with umpires they rotate every couple games and everything like that. You could get an umpire that it's like, oh, he's your last five and one under, but when the games are involving like Max Scherzer versus like Jacob Degrom every time, and he get, keeps getting a bunch of aces, well, that explains it right there. It's just something that I don't take into account. I know that some people do. A lot of people are sort of in the middle. I just think that it's completely useless. I try to keep things simple. I look at the players, not at the umpire because even if you do get a specific ump behind the plate, a good player is going to be able to figure it out. A bad player probably will not. And uptown better, at uptown better ass, at you know one. Hi Greg, I may have heard it from you, but do you study run scored against a bullpen and where can I find those stats? This is one in which I actually explained yesterday. Go back to the podcast yesterday. And I explain the splits as to how you can find bullpen ERAs, ERA for relievers, how guys do against lefties, righties. I just went through how to be able to find splits in general, so that is one of those where I encourage you guys to listen back to some of the past episodes at D1. That'll save you a little bit of time, and that'll save me a couple questions. So, I do appreciate all those. Thank you so much, guys. As always, feel free to tweet those in, and now let's take a look back at yesterday's results, try to find some trends, and try to become better handicappers from it.
0: So what teams and players is Greg looking to back? He will lay it on you in the call.
2: A rarity happened on Saturday as the Cubs lose back-to-back home games for the first time in I don't even know how long. The Washington Nationals take down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 72. The Cubs now 44-21 and at home so far this year for the Washington Nationals. They did all this without scoring a single home run and they leave 11 men on base. They were just able to take advantage of the fact that they were able to draw 9 walks and they got... Not necessarily great length for Joe Ross, but he was able to keep things out in front of him. He's given up two earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts in August as he went four and a third in this one, giving up two runs. And then the bullpen, which included Wander Wonderswear and Fernand Ono Rodney, go a combined four and two thirds innings and give up a combined one hit. Got to give them a tip of the cap there. This Washington Nationals bullpen has been doing a very good job in this series. And for the Chicago Cubs, Jose Quintana not allowed more than two earned runs in a start this month. He gets shelled in this one. Four innings pitch, he gives up five runs, four of which were earned. Now, truth be told, he was hurt by a pair of Anthony Rizzo airs. And from there, the Cubs' bullpen was actually pretty good. They go five innings, give up two runs, nothing great, nothing awful. But for the Cubs, not a whole lot doing on offense as they wind up leaving nine men on base as another under hits at Wrigley. Chicago has actually been one of the top five underball parks in the big leagues this year. You do want to note that because we know that the totals are greatly affected by the wind. Something that is greatly affected is day slash night in regards to scoring at Dodger Stadium. And this was a very low-scoring day game as the Dodgers wind up getting a 2-1 win over the New York Yankees. A pair of home runs were the only scoring in this one. Aaron Judge is 15th of the year for the New York Yankees. For the Dodgers, a two-run chop from Justin Turner down for what is 23rd of the year. That was the difference in the game as for CC Sabathia... He was not long for this game. He goes four innings. He gives up that two-run shot. Actually looked pretty effective coming off the injured list, so I will say that he got seven strikeouts. And then the bullpen of the Yankees was Nails' four-innings pitch. They give up just one hit, no earned runs. Very good showing there. And then with the Dodgers, Tony Gonsolin was able to give you five innings. Sort of the max that you can expect from him. He gave up that solo home run to Aaron Judge, and that was his 15th of the year. And then the Dodgers' bullpen, which has been looking pretty good actually recently, aside from Kenley Jansen, who very nearly blew this one for the Dodgers. They went a combined four innings. They didn't allow a single earned run themselves as the New York Yankees have been playing over 70% of their road games to the over, but obviously that did not happen here. The Miami Marlins actually have the second best home ballpark with regards to the over in baseball this year, and Saturday saw another over as the Philadelphia Phillies knock off the Miami Marlins by a count of 9-3. to Zach Eflin with his best Eflin start ever since the month of June. Six innings pitch. Gives up two runs. He was solid bullpen from there. Gives up one run over the course of three innings for the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a team that, going into the series, had been 6th worst in the big leagues with regards to runs per game ever since the All-Star break, but they were able to put a lot of men on. They only won 3 of 17 with men in scoring position, but a Scott Kingery home run, his 15th of the year, was a big difference maker in this one as Jordan Yamimoto has seen a lot of regression. 3 and 2 thirds innings. He gives up 6 runs off, which were earned. From there, you had on Chen come out of the bullpen and give up 3 runs in 2 innings himself, but for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get a power shot themselves. Jorge Alfaro, his 12th home run of the year, but this is a Miami team that has been one of the least profitable at home so far this year. A team that has been the most unprofitable ever since the All-Star break, for obvious reasons, it's the Pittsburgh Pirates, but they are now 10 and 29 since the All-Star break, and they get a second straight win, as they put two touchdowns on the board against the Bengals, as the Steelers 14, the Bengals 0. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, they just completely blew this game open in the 6th. They were up 2 to nothing going into the bottom of the 6th. Then the floodgates open as you got a pair of home runs in this one. Colin Moran, his 12th of the year, that was of the Grand Slam variety, and Josh Bell, a guy that's been nearly invisible ever since the All-Star break. His 32nd as the Pittsburgh Pirates, 7 of 11 with men in scoring position as the Cincinnati Reds were open to giving up runs in this one. And for Alex Wood, just another tough start. He has not looked right ever since his first two starts off the injury list. Five and a third innings, he winds up giving up five runs, four of which were earned, and a Reds bullpen that has been one of the bottom ten in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of June after starting out the year so good. They go a combined two and two-thirds innings. In the process, they give up nine runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, that is not going to help out the bullpen there. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they get a grand total of seven hits. They just do nothing with it. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Trevor Williams, a guy who had been giving up four earned runs or more, and I believe eight out of his last Ten starts winds up going six innings of scoreless baseball, and then from there the bullpen doesn't give up a single run themselves. So got to give the Pittsburgh Pirates a tip of the cap there. Biggest upset of the day: the Tampa Bay Rays wind up losing to the Baltimore Orioles by a count of seven to one. For the Tampa Bay Rays, Austin Pruitt looks like the least untrustworthy bulk guy that they have. You had Jose Alvarado get one out and give up a run in the process, but for Pruitt, he winds up going five and two thirds innings. Gives up six runs, all of which were earned, including a trio of dingers. Pedro Severino gets a grand slam in the third inning; He's 11th of the year. Hanser Alberto is 10th of the year, and Jonathan Villar is 19th. As for the Baltimore Orioles, Jonathan Means, a guy that had been looking really bad ever since the All-Star break, since the All-Star break his ERA had been north of five. He goes seven innings, gives up just one run. That was a solo home run. And then from there, the Baltimore Orioles get two innings of cleanup, essentially from their bullpen. As Mark Buehrle was the man that supplied that home run for the Tampa Bay Rays, his sixth of the campaign. As the Tampa Bay Rays the road have played three straight unders but they haven't played as many consecutive unders as the Kansas City Royals as the Cleveland Indians get a 4-2 win in this one for the Kansas City Royals. 14 out of their last 18 games have went under and a lot of this has to do with their offense just being complete garbage right now as for the Kansas City Royals Glenn Sparkman wound up being Glenn Sparkman on the road. He had an ERA of a nine in road starts coming into this one. And he goes four and a third innings, giving up four runs, all of which were earned actually helped out his road ERA. Gotta give it up to the Royals. bullpen, though. Three and two thirds innings. They just allowed one hit in the process. But for the Royals, oh of seven of scoring position, they strand nine on base. That was not necessarily a good look. And for the Cleveland Indians, they were able to get a big home run off the bat of Family Reyes, his third as a Cleveland Indian. For the year, that is home run number 30 for him. That wound up being the difference maker in this one as Mike Clevenger didn't necessarily give the greatest of length, but another good start from him. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up just one run. He's being priced like an ace, and he has shown that he's an ace. And from there, the Cleveland Indians bullpen. Top bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Three and a third innings, they give up one run. Cleveland Indians certainly do their job there. And the Cleveland Indians all of a sudden have been playing a bunch of unders as they have seen each of their last four go under the total. The Atlanta Braves have not been playing a whole lot of unders recently, and this is a game that went way over as the Atlanta Braves take down the New York Mets by a kind of 9-5 for the Atlanta Braves. They were able to get a trio of home runs from a trio of stars. Josh Johnson is 30th of the year. Freddie Freeman is 35th. That was off of one Edwin Diaz and Ozzy Albies. Gets his 19th of the campaign as Zach Wheeler wound up giving up the other two home runs. Wheeler was not dealing as he goes six innings, giving up five runs, four of which were earned bullpen from there for the New York Mets, which has been greatly revamped ever since the All-Star break. Perhaps showing a little bit of regression, they wind up giving up four runs in three innings. This is a Mets bunch that ever since the All-Star break have had a top eight bullpen with regards to ERA. And for Pete Alonso, he just continues to roll. You're going to hear Patrick Creighton of SB Nation Radio talk about him a little bit later. But he gets his 41st home run of the year as that one was... Served up by Max Freed as he did not have a good start in this one either. He goes five innings, giving up five runs, all of which were earned. But the Atlanta Braves, who've had a bottom 10 bullpen with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break themselves. Four innings from the bullpen. Every one the relievers gave up at least one hit, but they were able to do a good job of evading danger. And for the Mets, they still do have the best record out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. But obviously, not the best results here. The Houston Astros... Had been 3-8 and eight on the run line in their last 11 games going into Saturday, but on Saturday they were able to get to the Angels, winning by a count of 5-2 for Dylan Peters. By far his worst start of the year. He had not given up more than three earned runs in all but one start so far this year. He gives up five runs in four and two-thirds innings, including serving up a pair of bombs. Going deep for the Houston Astros, how about Alex Bregman? He winds up getting his 32nd home run of the year. Michael Brantley is 19th as Wade Miley who has a very interesting ERA of a 3-1-3, though his fielding independent is much higher. He gave another good start in this one. Five innings pitch, he gives up just one run. That was a solo home run, and from there, the Astros provide four innings of relief while giving up just one run for the Angels. Getting that home run was Luis Rangifo, his sixth of the year, but for the Houston Astros, they were able to do a very good job of just being able to drive them around. Two of five with Bennett's in scoring position, and they won this game despite getting just one more hit than the LA Angels. That is what you expect from the Houston Astros for the Milwaukee Brewers. The pitching has been very inconsistent this year, but Chase Anderson has allowed more than three earned runs in just one start since the beginning of the month of July, and he was terrific in this one as the Arizona Diamondbacks get completely shut out by a count of 4-0. to zero. Zach Allen, once again a tough luck loser. This is a man with a 2-4 record despite a 2.56 ERA. He goes five innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned, both of which were solo home runs. From there, the bullpen gives up two runs in three innings, and for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they went 0-10 of 10 with men in scoring position. They have nobody but themselves to blame for that, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, Eric Thames and Trent Grisham went yard in this one off of Gallon both in the fourth inning for Thames his 19th of the campaign for Grisham It's fourth and for Chase Anderson only five innings he's not going to give you a lot of length but did not allow a single run and then from there a bevy of Milwaukee Brewers relievers going combined four innings giving up just one hit in the process. The Milwaukee Brewers doing a very good job of being able to keep their games under the total as four of their last five and one under after they were giving up just a whole bunch of touchdowns to the Washington Nationals. The Detroit Tigers after having seven straight games of scoring four runs or fewer. Break that number for the second straight game, but the pitching let them down as the Minnesota Twins get an 8-5 win over the Detroit Tigers. Tigers at one point had a 4-1 lead as Darwell Lugo was able to get his second home run of the year. That was off of Kyle Gibson. For Gibson, things did not necessarily go well as he winds up going 5-3rd innings giving up 10 hits, 5 runs, 4 of which were earned, including that home run. The Minnesota Twins bullpen, though, is starting to look a little bit more decent. 3-2 and thirds innings of scoreless baseball from them, and for the Minnesota Twins, This is a team with a whole lot of power, and they get a trio of home runs once again. They are on pace to break the record for most home runs in a season. Jake Cave is 5th of the campaign. Miguel Sano, wouldn't you know it, he gets his 26th. And Max Coupler is 35th. As for the Detroit Tigers, Edwin Jackson was left out there too long. He goes 5 innings, giving up 6 runs, all of which were earned five of which were in the fifth inning, and then from there, you had to have Matt Hall come in for three innings of relief. He gave up two runs, so at the very least, the Detroit Tigers were able to save some bullpen arms, but needless to say, what are they really saving them for? Because they're not going to be going to the postseason. A team that is not going to be going to the postseason, the San Diego Padres, and they wind up losing by a count of 5-4 to four for the- against the Boston Red Sox. For the Red Sox they were able to take the lead in the ninth inning thanks to a Brock Holt home run for Holt that is his third home run of the year and for the Boston Red Sox they wind up once again not getting a whole lot of length out of Nathan Eovaldi. Feels like they're trying to build him up at this point. Three innings pitch gives up two runs both of which were earned. Both of the Boston Red Sox has been showing a lot of improvement lately in this one. They go six innings giving up just two runs and for the San Diego Padres it was Kirby Yates that wound up blowing this game. He winds up taking the loss has just a 130 ADRA and has been a Reliable. and the bullpen was actually good for the Padres in this one. Kirby Yates gave up the lone run and in four innings for them, as Denelson LeMet winds up going five innings, giving up four runs off, which were earned, it for the San Diego Padres they were able to get a Eric Hosmer home run in this one off of Baldi. That was his 19th of the campaign, but For the Padres, just 1 of 8 with men in scoring position. And for the Boston Red Sox, they've got some very interesting splits as they are exactly a 500 team at home. Meanwhile, on the road, they are now 36 and 27. And the Padres, as a favorite, though they were a slight underdog in this one, 21 and 42 on the run line. So you certainly do want to note that. You also want to note that the St. Louis Cardinals are the best underteam at home in baseball. About 62.5% of their home games have won under, and they wind up shutting out the Colorado Rockies by a count of 6-0. The Rockies score the most runs per game at home of any team in the big leagues, but in regards to road runs per game, they are in the bottom 10 as the St. Louis Cardinals get a terrific start from Dakota Hudson. Team is now 14-3 in his last 17 starts as Hudson gives up two hits In six innings, no earned runs. Bullpen from there, the St. Louis Cardinals, which is in the top six with regards to ERA. They don't give up a single run. And for the cards, Paul Goldschmidt winds up going yarded for his 29th of the year. And Harrison Bader is seventh. As for Chi-Chi Gonzalez, the starter for the Colorado Rockies, things did not go well. Four and a third innings gives up five runs off which were not including one of those home runs and the bullpen of the Colorado Rockies which has been in the bottom five of the big leagues winds up going three and two thirds innings giving up just a solo home run so they actually had some decent production there but for the Rockies just four hits. This is a team that just does not hit the same way on the road as they do in Coors. For the Chicago White Sox they've been doing a pretty good job at home. They've been right around 500 at home. Meanwhile on the road they're 10 games below 500. Texas Rangers have a similar split. They went into Saturday 15 games below 500, but they wind up getting a great pitching performance and get a 4-0 win over the White Sox. For Kobe Allard, this was his fourth start of the year and by far his best. He did give up six hits over the course of six and a third innings, but he was able to strand all those men on. Does not give up a single run, and then from there, the Rangers go two and two-thirds innings, not giving up a single run, and they got a pair of homers in this one. Danny Santana, his 22nd of the year. Willie Calhoun, his 15th for the Chicago White Sox. This is a team that had scored four runs or more in seven out of their last eight games after they scored four runs or a in 23 out of their first 31 coming out of the All-Star break, and they just had nothing doing in this one. 0-10 with many scoring position left 9 on base, and Ivan Nova, a man that had entered in his last 6 starts with a .85 ERA and the White Sox had been 6-0 in his starts. Can't blame the loss on him. He goes 5-2 and innings, gives up 2 runs, 1 of which were earned. The White Sox wound up having 3 errors. You always want to note that with the White Sox. They seem to be the worst fielding team, aside from maybe Seattle Mariners out there in the big leagues. And the White Sox bullpen goes 3 and. third innings. They do give up two runs, a little bit uncharacteristic of this team, but just all in all, a very weird day as Ivanova did his part, rest of the team did not. The Toronto Blue Jays were able to do their part in knocking off the Seattle Mariners by a count of 7-5. to five. You have to be heartened a little bit if you're a Seattle Mariners fan with the way that Felix Hernandez pitched off the injured list. 5-2 innings gives up two runs. Now both of those runs were solo home runs as going deep for the Toronto Blue Jays off of them. Teoscar Hernandez is 20th and Bo Bichette, who has been just white hot by the way, his 8th. But the bullpen of the Seattle Mariners, which had been really turning the corner, they had actually been one of the top teams with regards to ERA in August with regards to their bullpen. They wind up giving up a grand total of five runs over four and a third innings. Needless to say, that is not very good. And for the Seattle Mariners, they were able to get one deep shot in this one. Omar Devaez, his 19th of the year as Wilmer up getting the open in this one for the Toronto Blue Jays and, and it didn't go as planned for him. He gave up two runs in one inning, but Brock Stewart, not great, not awful as a bulk guy. Gives up three runs in five innings and then from there, Bullpen is able to go the remaining three innings, not giving up a single run from there. The Blue Jays were able to avenge some of the losses that they took to the Seattle Mariners at home about a week ago. And this game is currently in the bottom of the ninth inning. I've got to post this by Midnight Pacific, but looks like the Giants are going to be able to win this one. They are currently up by a count of 10 to 5. Looked like the A's were going to be able to get this win as they were up by a count of 4-2 going into the top of the 8th inning. And then the San Francisco Giants put up an 8-run eight 8th inning for the Giants. The real backbreaker in this one, a Stephen Voigt home run. That is his eighth of the campaign, and for Steven Voigt, that was of the three-run variety. As for the Oakland A's, the bullpen just completely disintegrated in this one. Chris Bassett, quality start, five and two-thirds innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Bullpen from there, three and a third innings, giving up Eight runs of which were earned. This is an A's bullpen that, all in all, is typically looked at as reliable. But if you take a look at their numbers, in regards to ERA ever since the all-star break, they've been between average and probably now below average. As for the A's, they also did get a home run in this one. Mark Canna is 20th of the year. You always want to note that the A's hit lefties much better than they do righties. And Madison Baumgartner is a lefty. And in this one, Gardner had a decent start, but he didn't give a lot of length. He wound up getting his pitch count elevated. He won five innings, giving up two runs, both of which were earned. And the San Francisco Giants bullpen does not look like it's its normal self. Going into last week, they were the second best with regards to ERA in the big leagues. They wind up giving up three runs in what has been three innings so far. We don't know how the bottom of the ninth plays out. But all in all, a little bit tough for an Oakland A's team that had won seven out of their last eight. So let's take a look back and find out what we all learned from baseball on Saturday. The Washington Nationals are getting tremendous starts out of Joe Ross. The Cubs are very successful at home, but they're in a little bit of a rare slide. The LA Dodgers are getting some very good pitching out of Tony Gonsolin. Overs just continue to cash in the city of Miami. The Pittsburgh Pirates who have been playing 65% of their home games to the over. Continue to play overs. Typically, they have not been of their own accord, but the Cincinnati Reds bullpen certainly helping with that as they have been ice cold. Perhaps Jonathan Means can be reliable once again for the Baltimore Orioles. Meanwhile, Austin Pruitt, probably the one guy of the Tampa Bay Rays that you want to avoid. The Houston Astros have not been doing a great job on the run line, but it seems like they are getting back on track. The Milwaukee Brewers continue to get great starts out of Chase Anderson, and Zach Allen is doing a very good job as well for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but they just didn't give them any offense. The Atlanta Braves are doing a great job of being able to match the ball. And the New York Mets, all in all, have been a great team since the All Star break. But you got to feel like the bullpen is doing for a little bit of regression. The Detroit Tigers are starting to score some runs, but. Edwin Jackson has been left in a little bit too long, and the Tigers in general have used up their bullpen a little bit too much, which probably led to that. Mike Clevenger delivering some tremendous starts for the Cleveland Indians. Meanwhile, the Royals are playing a whole boatload of unders. The Texas Rangers are becoming a very much an under team as 16 out of their 24 games in the month of August have thus far went under. The St. Louis Cardinals continue to be the top under team at home in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Colorado Rockies continue to struggle on the road. They have now lost 19 out of their last 24 road games, and they just don't hit the same on the road as they do at home. The Toronto Blue Jays are getting some quality starts whenever Wilmer is on the mound, if you've bet him, for $100 on every one of his nine starts slash open so far this year, you're up over $400. The Boston Red Sox are getting some very good bullpen pitching and are a much better team on the road than they are at home. And the Oakland A's seem to be showing some jinx in the armor with regards to their bullpen. And the San Francisco Giants, a completely different offense home to road. On the road, they are scoring more than 5.3 runs per game, at home more like 3.3. So that is all the trends and that is all the information that we learned from Saturday out there in baseball. Now let's talk about just big giant favorites, betting underdogs, the landscape of baseball in general, and a little bit of Houston Astros chat with our good friend Patrick Creighton of SB Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5. That is still up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting.
0: Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia
2: hotline. And we are back here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. This is a man that does some hosting for both SB Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5 out there in Houston, Texas. He does late hits on ESPN 97.5. That is weeknights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. If you're talking Pacific time, that is 5 to 7. And then Straight Eats airs Monday through Friday. That is from midnight to 5 a.m. Central. In regards to Pacific time, that is 10 to 3. This is a man that also does some commentary work for the University of Houston, the Rice Owls. He covers the Houston Astros very closely. He covers the Houston Texans closely. He is also very locked into the baseball scene and is a great mind and is a great follow on Twitter. At pcrate1 is his Twitter handle. And Patrick, always great to have you join the podcast. How are you today? Dude, appreciate it, man. I'll make sure I keep sending those checks for you to be my hype man. Oh, exactly. I make a (laughs) lot of money as a hype man. And I'm sure that you make a lot of money because you do a great job of being able to analyze all these baseball teams and the Houston Astros are just consistently out here in Vegas, $3 favorites. It's absolutely insane. We saw the epic game in which Justin Verlander reached a minus 600 favorite out there with the Astros. Do you think these prices are warranted, though? Obviously, the Houston Astros, I do feel like, are one of, if not the best team out there in baseball. But with a minus 600 price like that, you would need the Houston Astros to win 86% of the time just to break even, and I don't know if any baseball team, even one as good as the Astros, warrants quite that. Man, the
1: Astros should have won that game, too. They ran themselves out of several innings. And
2: Robin, the, the at the end trying to go for that cycle, and Justin Verlander gives up two hits, but they just so happen to fly over the fence.
1: Well, you know, it's funny if you watch the game and they brought in Osuna because, you know, Biagini couldn't get out of the ninth. They were up 6 nothing in the ninth. It's 6-3. You're tying run right at the plate, and Josh Reddick's got a snag a ball that looks like it might have squeaked over the wall if he doesn't grab it. It seems like every line drive to the outfield is going to the wall this year. I know it's been a big deal about, you know, number of home runs hit, and they're going to shatter the all-time record. The Orioles have already broken the all-time record for most home runs allowed With over 30
2: games left.
1: Yeah. Look, Camden Yards is a good place to hit home runs. But Everybody's hitting home runs. They're going to blow the record out of the water by over 600 homers. They're going to hit over a 1,000 homers more than they hit all of last season. Balls that you see the contact and you're like, no way. And these balls are not only are they out, but they're out by like eight rows. And where you see a guy make really good contact, the ball's going 430 feet. So, you know, when you got Justin Verlander and you know Verlander throws hard, you know, 96, 98, he still ratchet up to a hundred when he absolutely has to. You don't have to supply a lot of power as a hitter. You make good contact. The ball just explodes off the bat. And, well, it, it cost them two runs the other night. And again, if Robinson Trinos doesn't try to stretch a double into a triple with two outs in the ninth in a one run game, maybe they don't lose that game, but the Astros, their offense and their dumb base running really cost them in that game, a game they should have won. And you think about it, the three games. For, like, huge favorites, right? The Astros over the Orioles, August 11th. Justin Verlander on the hill. They lost. That was the biggest road favorite ever. And I guess they've only tracked it for 15 years, but biggest road favorite ever. Biggest favorite ever, Verlander the other night against the Tigers at the juice box. And they lose 2-1. Second biggest favorite ever, Garrett Cole. <laughs> Astros against the Tigers. <laughs> so... I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, the current environment in baseball where you've got extreme haves and extreme have-nots in Major League Baseball. More than ever, you're seeing teams deliberately tank. And when you have a team that's deliberately tanking playing against one of the three best teams in all of baseball, I think what's going on is is the odds makers are getting smart and they're trying to make it really hard for people to just sit there and play favorites on these matchups that really look one-sided on paper. They're trying to make it more of a challenge.
2: I do agree with you, as we do have joining me right here on the podcast, Patrick Creighton, based out there in Houston with 97.5, the ESPN affiliate out there, as well as SB Nation Radio nationally. And when taking underdogs, because I'm a big underdog player, I do look at teams that are giving you an honest effort, and they're really trying. The Detroit Tigers stink. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But I'm sure you'd agree from watching that series, they're giving you an honest effort. Everyone out there is giving it 110%. You've got a bunch of young guys trying to prove themselves. Now a team like the Kansas City Royals, you have a bunch of veterans, and they're all stinking. They're the team that I think should be getting like $4 and everything like that because I take a look outside their top four hitters, everyone's hitting below 225 for them right now. I do think that it's one of those cases where sometimes you need to look a little bit past the numbers on the sheet, and just look at how hard they're playing when deciding whether or not to take some of these underdogs. When I'm looking at whether I want to
1: take an underdog, because, look, the money this year, if you are successful with choosing underdogs, you're doing pretty well because some of these lines are ginormous. But to me, what does the pitcher look like? You know, are they starting a guy who's a decent pitcher? Are they starting a guy who's a ground baller? Are they starting a guy who... You know, as a young kid who maybe his numbers look high, but you look at him as maybe his last couple of starts he's pitched well, Are his numbers inflated because he's been inconsistent with some good games and some you know, some bad games. You know, did he have one of those games where just got rocked for eight runs and that's blown all his numbers up? Because a lot of young guys on bad teams, you're going to see guys who only have, you know, five starts, six starts, eight starts, making starts, and you kind of got to see what are you getting out of them. So if you get a guy who's young kid, live arm, maybe he hasn't refined his control, or maybe he's been inconsistent, and you've got a huge line opportunity, that's the kind of game that you could take a shot with a dog like that when you're talking about a really bad team. If you've got a guy who's made 22 starts and he just stinks, he's not giving his team a chance to win every night. And if you know that that starting pitcher has got a, you know, five and a half ERA and a one and a half whip, he's made 23 starts and every game he's given up four or five runs and he's walking four guys, he's given up eight hits. I'm not touching that guy with a 10 foot pole.
2: I do agree with you. And I do think that now more than ever, it is so critical to be looking at these Triple A games and not like sacrilegiously watching every single pitch or everything like that, but Just taking a look at some of the box scores, seeing how some of these guys are doing at AAA, because especially this time of year, you're seeing more young pitchers being able to get a shot with some of these teams that the players on the field are not tanking, but the organization is. They're trying to build for future years. So they're giving some of these guys from minor leagues from AAA, A, AA, everything like that, a shot. I think it's so critical that you take a look at, okay, how many strikeouts for nine is he giving up? How many home runs for nine innings is he giving up? And that way you're able to identify, okay, this underdog, they've got a fighting shot here. Someone like a Jacob Waggis pack of the Toronto Blue Jays turning a bunch of very good starts. And then you get a guy like a Peter Lambert who had an ERA above five for the Colorado Rockies. He comes up and he's getting shelled. That's a guy that you want to fade.
1: Yeah, the Rockies are look. They score a ton of runs because they play in the best hitting park in all the baseball. They score a ton of runs, but they also give up more runs than everybody else. And when the Rockies can't pitch, and every game out there, you know, we're pushing combined double digit scoring because they can't pitch. The Rockies are are usually a team that if they're bad, that I want to fade because usually when they're bad, they can't pitch. You never see a Rockies team that can't hit. But there's a lot of Rockies teams that can't pitch. And that team in that park, you know, they could be up 6-3 in the fifth inning, and they're going to lose that game 10-8.
2: Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. I think that's a very good point, as we do. have Patrick Creighton joining me on the podcast. It is one of those things with the Rockies, taking a look at them for the year. They're scoring the most runs of any team at home this year, but on the road. They're in the bottom 10 in the big leagues in regards to runs per game. So you do have those splits. And we have noticed this year you do have some teams that have some interesting home-to-road splits. One of those teams out there in your state, the Texas Rangers, they're over 10 games above 500 at home. On the road, they're right around 15 games below 500. The Chicago Cubs, prime example of this, currently 14 games below 500 on the road. But at home, going into Saturday, 44-20. and And I think it's becoming more demonstrative now than it has been in past years because... I don't know what it is, but there are so many pitchers. They're just so much more comfortable at home than they are on the road. Well, it's funny that you
1: mentioned the Cubs and then the Rangers. Those are two teams that play in ballparks that are known for giving up home runs. Those are hitter friendly parks. And it's like when they're at home, they're they're power hitters. And maybe they're mediocre, middle-of-the-road power hitters. They've got the power stroke at home, where in Texas in the summer, a pop-up's a home run. And in Chicago, if the wind is going out, everything's a home run. When they're able to just keep jacking homers, they're winning games. And they got to go on the road, and they got to play in the parks where it's tougher to hit homers. That's where they struggle. I think there is something to that, that when you see teams that have big splits, does that team play in a home park? that gives up a ton of homers.
2: Yeah, I'm right there with you. It is so interesting, too, because we've noticed that some of these home ballparks have been some of the best overs out there in the big leagues that you wouldn't expect. The Pittsburgh Pirates are actually the best team at home with regards to the over all year long. Now, Fenway, I think that we can all agree that the Boston Red Sox have some good hitting, not so good pitching, very hitter-friendly and everything like that. But I do find it interesting as well that one of the top over ballparks out there in the big leagues as well, Miami. And what do these teams all have in common? Pitching has not been so great in the case of the Miami Marlins. Well, the hitting's not so great either. But with a lot of these teams, the pitching is awful. And you typically have some pretty good hitting to go along with it, Sands, I guess, the Miami Marlins. Well, the Marlins are a wreck. But to be fair
1: to Jeter and the Marlins, they bought a wreck that they knew. Imagine you bought a home that inside the house, all it was, was a shell. All the fixtures were ripped out. All the copper piping was ripped out. The burners, the plumbing, the sinks, everything is ripped out. The floors are rotted. There's holes in the ceiling. You've literally got to rip that thing all the way down to the studs and then rebuild it from the basement up. And that is what the Marlins have to do. Now, whether they have the right people in charge to do that, that's remains to be seen. But the Marlins' teardown job is essentially what the Astros' teardown job was. And the Astros set team records for losses three years in a row before they became the team they are now. That's the kind of pain the Marlins are going to have because... You know, the old ownership group, they ignored the team. They weren't trying to win. They were stripping it down. They were trying to get a sale price. And, you know, Jeffrey Loria and David Sampson, David Sampson, who's so proud of himself for all the money that he made while screwing over the city of Miami. I mean, if any dude belongs in an octagon with an entire city of people wanting to beat the crap out of him, it's David Sampson. That guy is a first-class jerk. But realistically, Sampson and, and Loria, they destroyed that franchise. They destroyed the relationship with the city. They screwed the city. Oh, yeah, we're going to spend money. Build us a stadium. They spent money for three months, and they traded everybody away. Jeter now inherits a terrible situation, but he wanted to be a team owner, and that was the team that was available. So instead of waiting for a better opportunity, they took the first team available, and now they're going to try to clean up the mess, rebuild the house from the bottom up, and there's going to be a lot of pain in Miami, and they're going to take the brunt of it because everybody's going to look at them and say, oh, well, you traded everybody away. Fans don't understand the idea of running an organization. They don't understand how in baseball, you have to build from a ball up. It's not like football where you draft guys in the first round, second round, third round. Like These guys are starting week one. It's not like that. It's not like basketball. Your first round pick is your team savior. In in baseball, everybody you draft, they're going to spend at least two years in the minors. If they're studs, they're going to spend two years in the minors. You know, if they're Albert Pujols, they're spending two years in the minors. (laughs) So it's a totally different animal and people don't understand. And when you've been lied to and hurt and cheated on the way the city of Miami has been, they already had no patience and now you're asking them for more patience.
2: Yeah, I do agree with you. It's a very tough situation. It's Patrick Creighton of SB Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5 joining me right here on the podcast. And you speak of these guys that have to spend so many years in the minors and everything like that. I do notice that we are seeing a couple guys get up to the majors a little bit faster, but it is still very much a norm. I feel like the only guys that really make it up to the big leagues are those top five picks in a very ideal situation like David Price that play out in the SEC as well. The SEC has been turning out a lot of talent, but with that said, is there maybe a young guy or two that you feel like could make a big impact on maybe a playoff chase, a team that's trying to make the wild card or anything like that? I've been mentioning Jordan Alvarez so much. He's been terrific for the Houston Astros. But is there anyone else that you're really noticing that has had a nice come up? Well, I'll tell you, at this point in the season, you're not going to find
1: like, oh, this sudden guy is, is going to have this impact on the race because most of the guys who are coming up this year, who are having big seasons, their teams aren't in the race. That's why the young guys are promoted. So when you see a uh, Jordan Alvarez with the Astros, totally changes their lineup, you know, with the power and, I mean, he's hitting 340. And I'm getting a home run his, like every
2: 11 at bats.
1: His OPS is over 1100 and he's drawn walk. He has been everything that you could ever ask for. And the guys walks up there and pick player that you want to pick. That's been Jordan Alvarez. He's been talking like, Barry bond type impact. Now, short sample size. What is it? I, mean, I don't even think he's got 300 at bats. But the fact that he's got what 17 homers and more than that, actually, something I at think bats. he's got 20
2: plus home runs.
1: You know. But the point being, he's had an incredible impact on the Astros. You remember in in mid June, the Astros actually were 25th in the league in OPS at first base. Yuli Gurriel was injured, and they were looking at everyone in Carnacion. The Yankees basically sniped them and made the deal for Encarnacion before the Astros could pull that deal off. The Astros were actually talking to the Mariners about him. The Yankees sniped them and they got Everton Encarnacion. Yuli comes back, and all of a sudden, Yuli starts hitting. Yuli's hitting for power numbers that he has never hit for in the States. He's already got his career high in homers, career high in RBI. He's tracking career high in average, career high in OPS. All of a sudden he came back and he was ready to mash. But they also brought up Jordan Alvarez because they decided they'd had enough of Tyler White and his suckitude. Mm -hmm. And he comes up and he's hitting like a Hall of Famer. The other guy who, you know, is a rookie who's had a major impact on his team is Peter Alonso of the Mets. Now, Pete Alonso doesn't hit for that three hundred average, Think he's hit like two sixty-four or so. But he's already set the National League record for home runs by a rookie. He's gonna break the Mets single season record for home runs by a rookie, and he's got a shot to break Aaron Judge's all time record home runs by a rookie, which was fifty two back in twenty seventeen. He's, he's got a shot like forty one homers already. That guy has had a massive impact. When you think about what the Mets did this offseason, they trade for Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano was supposed to be a big part of their offense. He was been terrible, and now he's hurt. Yoannis Cespedes was supposed to come back, be the big bopper in the middle. Johannes Cespedes has the accident on his ranch. He misses the whole year. Like if I said to you before the season started in the first half, Robbie Cano was going to hit two hundred twenty and be awful. Johannes Cespedes was never going to have an impact. Wilson Ramos was going to have a first half to forget. You tell me the Mets are 30 games under. Pete Alonso has been the straw that stirs the drink for the Mets. He's crushing homers. Now, again, he doesn't hit for a high average, 264 or whatnot, but he's easily
2: the NL rookie. It's not even close. Oh, yeah. No disagreement there. And I will say Jeff McNeil also has been a very nice find for the New York Mets, but totally agree with you on. I don't think he's technically a rookie this year, though. I think he's not a rookie last season. But at the same time, he certainly has had a massive impact on that team. I don't think anyone thought that, oh, yeah, Jeff McNeil, he's going to go out there. He's going to hit for 330 with an on-base percentage of 400. I don't think anyone saw that. And I've got to give a tip of that to Will Smith, the Catcher for the L.A. Dodgers, not to be confused with the gentleman that appeared in the great film I Am Legend or the man from Men in Black, but he's getting a home run every eight at-bats. This is a guy that actually has come up in, like, the last 60 days or something like that. Got to say, I've been really impressed by him. Well, I'm not giving any kudos to any Dodgers
1: rookies because, (laughs) jeez, I mean, they've got a 20-plus game lead in their division. Any Dodgers rookie that's come up in the last month or so, Listen, when you come up and your team's already 19 up in the division, not having that big an impact.
2: No, not at all. But at the
1: same time, Although he is, so like, he, I agree, he's playing great, He's playing great, not taking that away from him. But you're not having an impact when your team is 20 games up. You know, the Mets made the trade from Marcus Stroman. They were six and a half out the end of July, and now they're a game and a half out.
2: Right around there. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It is a huge impact, and a man that also makes a huge impact, yourself on SB Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5. You on a pair of great shows. You do a great job at P. Creighton 1 on social media. You do a bunch of good fan engagement. You tweet out some just really good factoids and everything like that. Let the good people at home know where they can get a little bit more of your work. Know where they can hear you on SP Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5 and just get a little bit more Patrick
1: in their lives. Well, you can get me on Twitter at P. one You can sometimes find my writing at sportsmap.com. You will find Late Hits, ESPN 97.5, 7 or 9 Central, so 5 to 7 Pacific Time, on the ESPN Houston app at ESPN 97.5.com. You can find Straight Heat. 12 to 5 Central, so 10 to 3 Pacific time on the SB Nation Radio app at SBNationLive.com.
2: Terrific. A big thanks to Patrick Creighton of ESPN 97.5 and SB Nation Radio for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas Betting Board. And we do so on a little something I like to call Touch'em All.
0: Hey! I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold, and that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more, five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it.
2: And a big thanks to Patrick Creighton of SB Nation Radio and ESPN 97.5 out in Houston for joining me in the last segment as we're back here in the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas Betting Board. And we do so in a little something I like to call touch Touch'em All.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch touch'em all.
2: Note that any changes made to these plays going to be listed up on my Twitter feed at juniorsquarty 41 With some of these plays, they are all locked in, good to go, bet on, everything like that. With other of these plays, we are in wait-and-see mode waiting on line moves, lineup changes, games are off the board due to pitching matchups, everything like that. And for all that and more, you can go to my Twitter feed at juniorsquarty 41 as I'll be posting Up everything that is locked in, and I'll be keeping you guys informed as to all what's locked in and what is pending throughout the podcast as well. And as per usual, going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and that begins with 901 902. The Philadelphia Phillies hit the road to face off against Miami Marlins. Eliezer Hernandez goes for the Miami Marlins. Aaron Supernola for the Philadelphia Phillies. Tall in this game is 8. The over is just minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Phillies, playing anywhere between $2 and minus 205. Plus price on the Marlins is plus 180. Eliezer Hernandez, very much an up and down guy. And with both these offenses, they have started to find something in this series. you got to like the fact that Bryce Harper is coming out of his shell a little bit. Got the day off yesterday, but 27 home runs for him. Hitting right around 255. Reese Hoskins still hitting only at 236, but the 384 on base percentage really helps out with that. Then you got a bunch of guys on the team hitting between, I would say, a 272 and a 288. That'd be Cesar Hernandez, JT Riemuto, Gene Segura, and Scott Kingery who went yard yesterday. Got a couple guys like Brad Miller, Sergio Rodriguez are hitting below a 230 and Adam Azili only hitting a 241, but you got to like the fact that Corey Dickerson hitting above 300 as well. And then for the Miami Marlins, you need more out of so many of these guys. Lewis Brinson, Curtis Granderson, Austin Dean, Azan Diaz, all guys hitting a 205 or lower. And then you got other guys who are doing a fairly good job Neil Walker, Sterling Castro, Harold Ramirez, all in between a 263 and a 275. And you got Jorge Alfaro hitting at 265 as well. John Birdie's hitting a 281. And then you saw Brent Anderson get the day off yesterday, sitting right around to 260, leads the team in home runs with 20. But taking a look at this pitching matchup, got like the fact that Aaron Nola has been so dominant recently. This is a gentleman that, over his last 14 starts, has an ERA a little bit north of two. He got off to a really bad start to the year. He was giving up a whole bunch of home runs. He has really been able to mitigate that. And in the month of August, he has not allowed more than three earned runs. And as a matter of fact... You take a look, ever since June 15th, he's given up more than three earned runs in just two starts. So he's been solid there. Meanwhile, Eliezer Hernandez. The long ball is really getting to him. He's given up right around 2.5 home runs per nine innings. But he has been a little bit better recently. Two out of his last three starts, he has given up zero or one earned runs. Now the other start in between, he winds up giving up six and six against the LA Dodgers. But I do think that this is a spot where the Philadelphia Phillies are going to be able to hold the Miami Marlins at bay. I will acknowledge that in Miami, over 60% of the games are going over so far this year, but I think that NOAA really holds the Marlins in check. And I do think that Hernandez not going to be terrible in this one, but I think the Phillies win this game by multiple runs. So for that reason, looking at the Phillies on the run line, and going to be taking this total under with the Phillies run line. That is currently at minus 140. That is not ideal. We want to be laying a little bit less juice if at all possible. Meanwhile, with this total, looking to be able to See if this gets up to perhaps 8.5 or if it gets to even juice as well. We move on to 9.03, 9.04 on the batting rotation. The New York Mets Play the Atlanta Braves. Alex Keiko goes for the Braves. Stephen Mets for the Mets. Your total on this game is 8.5. Overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 105. If you're looking at the Braves, going to be bravely getting anywhere between plus 104 and plus 105. Want to lay it with the Mets. That's anywhere between minus 114 and minus 115. And these are a pair of pitchers that it's really hard to gauge because with Dallas Keuchel, he looked very good in his last start, but all in all, he's been up and down. 4 and 5 record, 4 1 four ERA given up right around 1.5 home runs per nine innings, but his last two starts, he's given up a combined one earned run. Then you take a little look at the flip side for Steven Matz. This is a guy that he himself, given up right around 1.7 to 1.8 home runs per nine innings in the month of August, so he's been doing a pretty solid job. He gave up five runs in three, two-thirds against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ever since then, has won six innings in all three of his starts, giving up either one or two runs in every one of those starts, so he's been doing solid there, but with the Atlanta Braves, I do feel like they are going to be able to back up Dallas Keiko with a little bit of a better lineup because Jeff McNeil still have the fold for the New York Mets. We do know about Pete Alonso though. This is a man that's got 40 home runs. Batting average hovering right around a 260 to a 265. He has been terrific and Michael Conforto has come along for the ride as well. Hitting just below a 260. 27 home runs for him. You've got Amit Rosario towards the top of the lineup. He and Wilson Ramos hitting between a 280 and a 290. Got a couple guys that need to pick it up. Todd Frazier, Juan Lagares, and Guillermo, these guys are all hitting a 230 or lower, but you got JD Davis hitting above 300, and then Joe Panic has been a recent addition that has been decent for this team. Meanwhile, you gotta love that Josh Donaldson has 30 home runs, hitting nearly a 265 along with Matt Joyce in that neighborhood. Adeni Echevarria. Francisco Cervelli, who recently got picked up, by the way, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, And Rafael Ortega are all guys hitting a 225 or lower, but how about Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna Jr.? Both hitting between a 285 and a 295 in the case of Acuna Jr. 36 home runs, and then Freddie Freeman has over 100 RBI, hitting above 300, 34 home runs, a lot of lethality here with the Atlanta Braves. Their bullpen recently has not been good. Towards the beginning of the year, it was pretty solid. Meanwhile, for the Bats, they had the third-worst bullpen ERA entering into the All-Star break ever since then. It's been in the top eight in the big leagues. One of these situations of something's got to give, and I do think that the Atlanta Braves are going to be able to put up some offense. I think that they're going to be able to get to see the Mets, and I think that their bats are going to win this game. So for that reason, looking at the Braves' plus price and the total over, would like to see if I'm able to get the juice down to minus 110 if at all possible. And with regards to the Braves, right now they are a slight underdog, a little bit of money coming in on the Mets, so I'm trying to see if that climbs up a little bit more. 905, 906 on the bank rotation. The Pittsburgh Pirates play to the Cincinnati Reds. Trevor Bauer is going to be going for the Reds. It was not announced until the evening that it's going to be... Dario Agrazzo going for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is why this game is currently off the board with Mr. Agrazzle, He's had a couple good starts so far this year, but in his last couple starts before being essentially relegated by this team, things have not went well for him. Meanwhile, with Trevor Bauer, well, things have not been going well for him in general. He's given up more than three earned runs in just one start in the month of August. But with that said, that one start is one that he gave up nine in. This is a guy that is all over the place. He has allowed three earned runs or more in eight out of his last 14 starts. He just don't know what you're going to get out of Trevor Bauer. Some days he's absolutely... Absolutely magnificent some days he is absolutely wretched. And with the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that's been a little bit feast for famine with their bats, and truth be told, the same goes for the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pittsburgh Pirates now have just ten now just have 10 wins ever since the All-Star break, but they were able to really put up a crooked number on the Cincinnati Reds yesterday. Colin Moran is a guy that's helping out this team with regards to batting average, along with Kevin Newman, Sterling Marte, and company. These guys are all in between a 285 and a 295. You've got Josh Bell is seen as batting Arab Jib to 275. He's not been providing a lot of power, and that's really been the issue for this team. One of the worst teams with regards to home runs in the big leagues, but. He and Jacob Stallings both hitting between a 270 and a 275. Jose Azuna though hitting above a 300. Brian Reynolds hitting a 325 himself. Melky Cabrera has seen his batting average dip, but you got to feel like things are at least starting to get on track for the Pittsburgh Pirates, despite the fact that they still have a little bit of a leaky bullpen. And speaking of leaky bullpens, ever since the beginning of the month of June, the Cincinnati Reds, after having won the better bullpens in the big leagues for the first couple of months of the year, they've been in the bottom ten in the big leagues. But you now have Aristides Aquino and Philip Irvin both hitting above a 300 out there in the outfield. That has been a huge find. At Aquino At that three-home run game a few weeks ago. Jose Iglesias and Josh Van Meter both in between a 295 and a 285. You also have to like the fact that you're getting some production out of Eugenio Suarez and Freddy Galvis. Freddy Galvis, recent addition, hitting 280, 21 home runs for the year. Suarez, 34 dingers, 255 average. Joey Votto still out of the fold, but the team hasn't really needed him. And I do think that there are going to be some runs in this game because I don't think that Bauer's going to be able give a good start. Meanwhile, with the Grozzle after a couple very good starts, he was seemingly going six innings, giving up one or two runs in his first couple starts in the big leagues. He then got banged around in his last couple before being relegated. I do think that this is a spot where we're going to see a lot of runs. This is going to really depend on where this line opens up. If the Pirates are just a ridiculous underdog, probably going to take a look at them. But if you're seeing more of a moderate line like we've been seeing throughout the week, going to be looking at the Cincinnati Reds. But as always, check back on my Twitter feed at gnaroscordy1 for some plays there. 907-908 on the bag rotation. The Milwaukee Brewers play the Arizona Diamondbacks. Robbie Ray goes for the D-backs. Zach Davies for the Milwaukee Brewers. Your total on this game is 9.5. Under Zeus of minus 120, the over is even. If you're looking at the Brewers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 105 and minus 107. The D-backs are laying anywhere between minus 103 and minus 105. This is a textbook pick game right here, and I have absolutely no idea why because Zach Davies, has been brutal for the Milwaukee Brewers. Meanwhile, with Robbie Ray, this is an interesting cat in that he has been giving up a lot of home runs, a lot of walks, but he's getting a whole bunch of strikeouts as well. You take a look at his strikeouts, 11.9 per nine innings. He's given up 1.5 home runs per nine innings and four walks per nine. He's also making his first start off the injured list. So... This is one of these situations where you just don't know what you're going to get there. And then with Zach Davies, this is a guy that has been up and down all year long. He looked like he had really found something in late June, early July, after he had completely lost everything in early June. And recently, he has just been a hot mess. You take a look at Zach Davies' last three starts. They have all been losses for the Milwaukee Brewers. As a matter of fact, each of his last four have been losses for the Milwaukee Brewers. He gave up just two runs in his last start, but he gave up four plus in the three previous. This is a gentleman that is not going to give you a whole bunch of strikeouts. And with the Milwaukee Brewers, They are very much a feast or famine team with the bat. There are some games in which this team is just ripping the cover off the ball. There are other games in which things are not going well and really the only rock of consistency for this team is Christian Yelich and believe me, it is a good rock of consistency as he's got 41 home runs for the year, nearly 100 RBI, one of the top base out there in baseball. His batting average hovering right around a 330. He has been absolutely magnificent. I think you have Eric Thames coming on. He's got two home runs in the series. It's he... Lorenzo Kane, Mike Moustakis, and Yasmani Grandal all hitting between a 255 and a 265 for this bunch. And Moustakis has 31 home runs of his own. He's a little bit hit or miss, so you got Trent Grisham and Ben Gamble both hitting right around a. 240 for this team, and this team has decided to take a little bit of a risk in the infield in that they have now signed Corey Spangenberg. They're hoping to get a little bit of production there as he's going to join Kesson here out there in the infield. Hero is hitting over 300. He's been doing a good job with power, and I think that Spangenberg is probably going to be a replacement for Orlando as He, Manny Peanut, and... Travis Shaw, all guys hitting a 230 or lower. Then you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. You're getting some very good production from so many guys in this lineup. Gerard Dyson, Tim Lecastro, Adam Jones, Nick Ahmad, Carson Kelly. All the guys in between a 255 and a 268, and then for Christian Walker, he's went deep 23 times so far this year. You're also getting a whole lot of home runs out of Catal Marte and Eduardo Escobar. These two guys have a combined 55 home runs. Escobar has seen his average dip to a 270, but Catal Marte. Hitting nearly a 320. you You're even getting something out of the likes of Alex Avila and Jake Lamb. Both of these guys hanging below a 235, but they're on base percentage over 135 points higher than their batting average. So that's a little bit of an interesting split. And with both these teams, the bullpens have certainly been up and down. Still have Josh Hader for the Milwaukee Brewers, but he has proven to be a little bit unreliable as of late. And I do think that Robbie Ray is going to be able to turn a better start here than Zach Davies. So for that reason, we are going to be looking at the Arizona Diamondbacks and not just looking at them. I already fired on them. And I'm going to be taking this total under with regards to the under in Wayne C mode there as the juice is currently minus 120. But with the Diamondbacks all set, locked in, and good to go there. We move on to 909, 910 on the bang rotation. It is the St. Louis Cardinals playing host to the Colorado Rockies. Antonio Sensatello goes for the Rockies. Michael Wacha goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Told them this game is 9.5 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the Cardinals, you're going to be laying it here. Anywhere between minus 145 and minus 153. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Rockies. Anywhere between plus 135 and plus 143. Antonio Sensatella is making his first start in quite a while. Meanwhile, Michael Waka actually looked good in his last start, you just don't know what you're going to get out of Michael Wacca because a few years ago, he was one of the better starting pitchers out there in the big leagues. This year, Michael waka ironically enough, has had a walks problem. 6-6 six and six record, 522 ERA. He's given up just under... Two home runs per nine innings, and he's giving out right around, I would say, 4.2 walks per nine innings. But in his last start against the Milwaukee Brewers, he winds up going a grand total of four innings, not giving up a single run. Seems to be doing well in short spurts, as this is a man that has given up two earned runs or fewer, and actually five out of his last six starts. So you gotta give him credit. In a lot of those starts, he's not necessarily going deep, but at the very least, he is doing the job. Meanwhile, with Antonio Sensatella, this is a guy that before going on the injured list, he was actually doing a better job on the road than he was at home at home. He's got a 680 ERA. On the road, it's not a whole heck of a lot better. It's a 584, but at least it's a little bit of improvement. This is a guy, though, that he's given up nearly four and a half walks per nine innings. 629 ERA for the year. He just has not been good in general. He doesn't get a whole lot of swings and misses as he is generating 5.1 strikeouts per nine innings. He's let's face it, not got a whole lot of redeeming qualities and he's backed up by a Colorado Rocky team that's got one of the bottom five bullpens out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. And with the St. Louis Cardinals you've got one of the top five bullpens out there in the big leagues. And with the St. Louis Cardinals you don't necessarily have that one masher. You don't necessarily have a guy that's going to pop off with a whole bunch of hits in general but you do have Colton Wong and Tyler Edmond both hitting at a 272. Then you got a whole bunch of guys hitting between a 247 and a 267. Dexter Fowler, Marcel Ozuna, Jose Martinez, Yadier Molina, Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt, all in that neighborhood and with Paul Goldschmidt, he's been doing a good job of being able to supply home runs. He's got 28 of them on the year. Marcel Ozuna really starting to pick it up for this team as well. He has went team 24 times despite being on the injured list. Now Harrison Bader and Matt Carpenter are a hot mess. They're both hitting below a 220 and then with the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that's generating the most runs per game at home this year, but... On the road, they've been in the bottom 10 in the big leagues with regards to runs per game. You do have Tony Walters and Daniel Murphy both hitting between a 275 and a 290, though. Ryan McMahon is hitting a 270, Ian Desmond at 255, and then Charlie Blackman, Nolan Airdau, and Trevor Story. At the top the lineup, all between 27 and 32 home runs, and all these guys are hitting a 292 or greater with Charlie Blackman hitting a 325, but on the road, he's hitting more around a 280-ish at home, more around a 375, so he's got some interesting splits there. And I think that this is a spot where Michael Waka going to be able to give a pretty good start. I think that Antonio Sanzatella well, he's going to get hit around quite a bit, though I will say that the St. Louis Cardinals have been playing so many unders at home. They are the top under team with regards to home games out there in the big leagues with over 60% going under. I do think that this is going to be another under, but I'm going to be looking at the Cardinals on the run line. Currently, the price is a plus 130. Looking to see if it improves a little bit, but I am noticing a little bit of money on the Cardinals, so might have to lock this in pretty soon. 911, 11 12 on the bang rotation. You got the Chicago Cubs playing also the Washington Nationals. Steven Strasburg goes for the Nats. Cole Hamels for the Cubs, your total on this game is off the board since this game is at Wrigley Field. Meanwhile, with the Nationals, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 117 and minus 122. Plus price on the Cubs is anywhere between plus 107 and plus 112. This is a situation where I'm going to be looking at the Cubs in this spot. They have lost two straight games at home. Very uncharacteristic of this team as they are 44 and 21 at home on the year. On the road, it's been a little bit of a different story. And for Steven Strasburg, this is a gentleman that in the month of July gave up a grand total of four earned runs the month of August that's also been a little bit of a different story. Pitched very well in his last outing against the Pittsburgh Pirates, not giving up a single run, but in the three starts previous, gave up at least three earned runs in every one of them. Meanwhile, for Cole Amels, it's been a little bit of a rude awakening ever since coming off the injury list, but the year, he's given up right around one home run per nine innings. Looked a little bit better in his last start against the Giants, giving up three runs in six innings. Prior to that, he gave up more than three runs in his previous two starts. Those were the first two starts ever since the beginning of the month of May, in which he gave up more than three earned runs, though, so. So, got to feel like he's going to be able to bounce back. And with these Chicago Cubs, it's easy to bounce back when you've got all those bats in the middle of the lineup that are able to mash. You've got Nick Cassianos, Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, and... Anthony Rizzo all in between a 282 and a 294. In the case of Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez all hitting between 25 and 28 home runs. Kyle Schwarber leads the team with 29. He's only hitting a .223 though, though his on-base percentage is pretty solid. Got a lot of guys hitting between a .238 and a .250 for this team as well. Edison Russell, Albert Almora Jr., Ian Happ, Victor Carantini, David Bode all file in that boat. Tony Kemp ever since coming over from the Astros not been doing a lot, but Jonathan right at the catcher spot, hitting right around 250, and Jason Hayward at 265 at the top, but then you've got for the Washington Nationals, a lot of guys doing a great job of getting on base. Howie Kendrick hitting at 330, Anthony Rendon and Juan Soto both have an on-base percentage, hovering right around 400. In the case of Rendon, 28 home runs, over 100 RBI. Juan Soto has 29 home runs, and then you got Adam Eaton and Trey Turner both hitting above a 290 at the top of the lineup as well. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the bat, Brian Dozier hitting at 233. Jan Gomes, a 220, but Kurt Suzuki, whenever he's out there, has been solid. Gerardo Parra, Victor Robles, and Matt Adams all in between a 244 and a 250 along with Azurubu Cabrera. So, got a lot of good bats out there with the Nationals, but I do think that Strasburg going to be giving up a couple hits in this one. I do think the Cole Amos is going to be the slump buster for the Cubs. So, for that reason, looking at the plus price here of the Cubs, if... We get a total that is not absolutely harebrained. I'm probably going to be looking at it under. A lot of it has to do with the win, but both these guys do a very good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. So leaning towards an under and the plus price of the Cubs have yet to fire on both of those. Though I'm noticing some money coming out in the Nationals. Meanwhile, with the total, well, it's just out up on the board. 913, 914 on the bank rotation. The Baltimore Orioles play us the Tampa Bay Rays. For the Tampa Bay Rays, it'll be good old to be determined. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Dylan Bundy. I saw that this game was listed somewhere. I was noticing that the Rays opened up about a minus 175 favorite. Looks like it's probably going to be Jalen Beeks going in this one. He's going to have an opener going for him. That is the thought at this point. Obviously, things are a little bit of subject to change, but with Dylan Bundy, this is a very interesting gentleman in that he gives up over two home runs per nine innings, five and thirteen record, 5.03 ERA. Just don't know what you're going to get from him game to game because in the month of August. He's had three starts in which he's given up one or two earned runs. In his other start he gives up six runs. In the month of July he had two starts in which he gave up two runs or fewer. In the other two gave up four plus. He's either going to be very, very good or very, very bad. There is no middle. And with the Tampa Bay Rays this is a bunch that well they just got slacked yesterday against the Baltimore Orioles and they do have quite a few power bats in their lineup. They don't necessarily have that guy that's going to hit for 40 plus home runs but they've just got a good balance in general and it's all led off by Austin Meadows and Tommy Pham. These two guys have a combined 43 home runs, both in between a 270 and a 280. Obviously, Garcia has returned to the fold as well, sitting right around a 275. Then you got Travis Arnault, Willie Adamas, Jesus Aguiar, and Kevin Kiermeyer. all in between a 251 and a 241. Mark Bruseo has done a good job of getting on base, sitting nearly a 290. Eric Sogard, whenever he's out there, hitting above a 300 as well. Matt Duffy, right around a 240. Then for the Baltimore Orioles, the guy that's really gotten on base for them is Sancho Alberto. He draws no walks whatsoever. But sitting right around at 315. Jonathan VR, Anthony Santander, Trey Mancini, all in between a 270 and a 280. In the case of Mr. Boom Boom Mancini, he's got 29 home runs. Renato Nunez has been doing a great job for this team as well. He's got 28 home runs. Batting average hovering right around a 245. Pedro Severino at a grand slam yesterday. He's sitting a little bit above a 250. And Rio Ruiz is back in full, which is nice. He's hitting at 240. But then got the famine bats for this team. Chris Davis, Jace Peterson, DJ Stewart, Richie Martin, Stevie Wilkerson, Chance Cisco, All guys hitting a 230 or lower for this bunch. I think the Tampa Bay Rays should be able to completely overwhelm the Baltimore Orioles. I think this is a spot where Dylan Bundy is going to be really, really bad. And even if we see good Dylan Bundy, you still have that bullpen of the Baltimore Orioles which is wretched to say the least. So for that reason, leans here are to the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. For getting a total of 10, probably going to be looking at an under, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at junior 41 915, 916 on the bank rotation. You've got the Cleveland Cleveland Indians playing against the Kansas City Royals. Eric Scoglin goes for the Kansas City Royals. Shane Bieber Fever for the Cleveland Indians. Total on this game is 9. The under is just a minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Windians, you're gonna be laying anywhere between minus 320 and minus 380. Meanwhile, the plus price of the Royals is anywhere between plus 260 and plus 280. As much as I want to be able to take an ugly underdog, and believe me, I've been taking quite a few of them recently. There is just no value with the Kansas City Royals in this spot. With Shane Bieber, he's been doing a tremendous job all year long. Has a little bit of a problem giving up the home run ball. Right around 1.4 home runs per nine innings, but he has given up two earned runs or fewer in each of his last five starts. He's really given up more than two earned runs in just three starts ever since the beginning of the month of June. So, done a very good job of keeping things out in front of him. As we know with the Cleveland Indians, they've got the best bullpenny area out there in the big leagues, the Kansas City Royals. Well, they certainly do not. And for Eric Scoglin, this is a gentleman making his first start of the year. But when he started in 2018, things did not go as planned. He wound up pitching a grand total of 70 innings over 13 starts and one relief appearance. He wound up only walking 19 guys. So he was solid there, but does not have swing and miss stuff. He was generating fewer than seven strikeouts per nine innings. Opponents were in right around 250 off of him. This is just a guy that is not a winner, as he went one and six in those games. And you can't think that he's going to be able to deliver a lot of length, and that means that you're going to see the poopy Kansas City Royals bullpen in this one, and they're going to have to face off against the Cleveland Indians, the lineup that is greatly revamped and is led off by Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor for this bunch, hitting just below 300. He's got 22 home runs. Oscar Mercado has been doing a good job of getting on base with Matt Freeman and Taylor Naquin. These guys are all hitting between a 279 and a 290. Femio Reyes needs to pick it up a little bit with the batting average, but he's got 29 home runs for the year. You also have to like the fact that you've got Yasiel Puig in the fold with his 24 home runs, 260 batting average. Jose Ramirez and Jason Kipnis both hitting right around at 255 themselves. Roberto Perez is only hitting at 225, but he's got 20 dingers as well. And then you take a look at the other side for the Kansas City Royals. Got a couple guys that are doing a good job for this team. Whitmere Field's hitting at 300. Jorge Soler has been in a little bit of a rough patch recently, but he's got 35 home runs. 252 batting average. Chester Cuthbert hitting in that neighborhood as well with fewer home runs, obviously. Alex Gordon is hitting at 265 And Arthur Dozier. 285 with 22-plus home runs, but then everyone else on this team is absolutely brutal. Lucas Duda, Ryan O'Hearn, Cam Gallagher, Umberto Ortega, Billy Hamilton, Brett Phillips, Miles Vioria, and Bubba Starlin, all guys hitting a 230 or lower. This is just such a top-heavy lineup, which is going to lead to a lot of men being left on base. Shane Bieber does give up a little bit of hard contact, but he also strikes out over 11 per nine innings. I think that the Royals are going to be in complete disarray here. I think the Indians could go over all by themselves. So for that reason... Looking at this total over, and I'm looking at the run line with the Indians. Run line on the Indians, I'm currently noticing, is minus 165. That is quite high, so in wait-and-see mode there. With the total being minus 105 across the board on the over, probably going to wind up taking it. I just want to wait and see if I'm able to get an even juice if at all possible. I do expect a little bit of a rise, but currently in wait-see mode just in case if I can get a little bit more value. 917, 918 on the bang rotation. It is the Chicago White Sox, and they are going to be playing to the Texas Rangers. Ronaldo Lopez goes for the Chicago White Sox. Brock Burke goes for the Texas Rangers. Total on this game is 9.5. The under is just a minus 120. The over is even. If you're looking at the Rangers, you're going to be getting a plus price here. Anywhere between plus 103 and plus 115. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the White Sox, anywhere between minus 113 minus 125. It's certainly been the best and worst of times for Ronaldo Lopez recently. He's got a 7-11 record, which means that, yep, He is always open to giving up runs. But with that said, he hasn't necessarily been completely banged around recently. He has given up more than three earned runs in just one start ever since the 4th of July. So he's done a very good job of being able to hold down the fort and... As a matter of fact, he's done a very good job of being able to limit the home runs as well. This is a guy that for the year, giving up nearly two home runs per nine innings, but he's really been doing a good job of cutting down on that. Brock Burke, meanwhile, he was actually a pretty solid pitcher at the AAA level. He wound up getting his start in the Texas Rangers doubleheader against the Angels last week, and he looked very good. Only four strikeouts, but did not give up a single run or home run. He does a good job of being able to limit hard contact, but he's backed up by a Texas Rangers bunch that, let's face it, they just aren't the same on the road as they are at home. They entered into Saturday 15 games below 500 on the road. Meanwhile, with the Chicago White Sox, this is a team that's heating up. They're right around 500 at home. They're nearly 10 games below 500 on the road, and they get back Yoan Moncada, a very big piece of this team. 22 home runs, 303 batting average. For him, Tim Anderson, hitting at 330. Then you've got a bunch of guys hanging between a. 285 and a 275, Jose Abreu, Lloris Garcia, and James McCann all in that neighborhood. And for Jose Abreu, this is the power bat of this team. He's got 28 home runs and 98 RBI. Got a couple guys that do need to pick it up with the batting average. Ryan Cordell, Adam Engel, Wellington Castillo. These guys are hitting below a 225, but then you've got John Jay sitting right around a 270. Homer Sanchez supped his average to a 255, and Eloy Jimenez has a 242 batting average, but he's been doing a good job of supplying some power. Meanwhile, with the Texas Rangers, Danny Santana has seen his batting average dip below 300 once again. He and Willie Callum both hitting between a 290 and a 300. You then have a whole bunch of guys that are hitting right around a 232 or lower. Logan Forsythe is now down to 231. Then you've got Scott Heineman, Jeff Mathis, Rudnett Odor, Ronald Guzman, and Tim Fedorowicz along with... Isaiah Kinnear-Falfa, all inning a 230 or lower. They are getting a little bit of unexpected production from Nick Solak. He's hitting well above a 300. He's been solid ever since coming into the lineup. Then you got Sin chiu hitting a 265, but not having No Zara and Joey Gallo in the lineup, really hurting the seam as well. And with the Texas Rangers, one of the worst bullpen ERAs out there in the big leagues, the Chicago White Sox have been very underrated with their bullpen all year long. It's right around league average with regards to ERA and everything like that, but after the first couple of weeks of the year, to be able to rectify itself the way that it has, has me impressed, and I think that the White Sox are going to be able to pull out this one in a little bit of a lower scoring game. So for that reason, looking at the White Sox and the total under, I've already locked in the under. I'm noticing money coming in on the White Sox, so probably going to be locking that in right when I get off this podcast. 919-920 on the betting rotation. The Houston Astros play OC LA Angels. Hi, me, buddy, goes for the LA Angels. Frambar Valdez for the Houston Astros. Your total on this game is 105 or 10, depending on where you look. On the 10, the over is just a minus 120. The under is even. On the 10 and a half, the under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the stroves, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 195 and minus 205. Meanwhile, the plus price on the a is anywhere between plus 177 and plus 180. I have been fading the Astros in quite a few of their games recently. They went 3-8 and eight in their last 11 on the run line going into Saturday, so they certainly have not been covering that, but I think that this is going to be a very good opportunity for them to be able to do so because... With Mr. Barilla, he's really been getting roughed up in a couple of his starts. This is a man that's giving up over 2.6 home runs per 9 innings. He's been a little bit better in the month of August, but he's still giving up 3 earned runs or more in 2 out of his 3 starts. Has not went past the 5th inning. And then you take a look at the month of July. He had a start against the Seattle Mariners, which he gave up 10 runs in fewer than 4 innings. And then on the other end, Framber Valdez, ERA north of 5 for the Houston Astros. As a starter, it actually climbs north of 6. Just has absolutely no command whatsoever, giving out more than 4 walks per 9 innings. Had to go back down to AAA to try to refine some stuff. So I do think that runs are certainly going to be a plenty, and you're going to get a lot of the bullpens. And we all know that the Houston Astros bullpen... Far superior to that of the LA Angels, but with the LA Angels, they do have some very solid hitting. It's all led off by a man by the name of Mike Trout. Mike Trout hitting just under 300. He's got nearly 100 RBI, 42 home runs. He's been absolutely magnificent. You do have a couple guys that are starting to emerge a little bit with their batting average. Albert Pujols and Luis Regifo, both hitting between a 240 and a 250. Cole Calhoun hitting a 237 himself, but he's got 28 home runs. Albert Pujols, 19 himself. Then you do have the guys that they really do need to pick it up. Matthias, Wilfredo Tovar, Max Sassy. Justin Upton, all guys hitting a 220 or lower, but then you do have Daniel Fletcher, Shoei Otani, and Brian Goodwin. All these guys are hitting at least a two eighty-five. and in the case of Shoei Otani, he's got a batting average hovering right around a 300 right now, but for the Houston Astros, this is a team that is just loaded with a bunch of guys that are able to match. You've got Michael Brantley and Jordan Alvarez hitting above a 330. and we were talking about this with Patrick Creighton. Jordan Alvarez, a home run every 11-12 at-bats. Alex Bregman, 31 home runs. George Springer and Jose Altuve, both hitting a 290 or greater. In the case Springer. He's got twenty-seven home runs. Duve twenty-seven plus. Josh Reddick is in a two sixty for, for the team. Robinson Torinos only at two forty for the team, but if it wasn't for the fact that he was thrown out at 30, would have had a cycle a couple days ago, and then you've got Yuri Gurriel, who at the first base spot is now hitting above 300. He has been on an absolute tear. This is going to be a very tough Houston Astros lineup to stop. I do think that the Angels are going to be able to get their runs themselves, but I think that even with Valdez giving a bad start, the Astros are going to be able to win this game by multiple runs. So Going to be taking a look at this total over. Currently, Wayne Simo to see if I can get an unjuiced 10, and with the Astros run line, Currently noticing that at minus 110 in Wayne C mode there, but I'll probably wind up locking in that Astros run line. I do think some public money is going to be coming in there. Just right now, checking my options. And I'm just checking my options on the over. I'm going to be locking in on both of those. 921, 922 on the bank rotation. The Minnesota Twins, host and Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd goes for the Tigers. Martin Perez goes for the Minnesota Twins. I think that Matthew Boyd was the gentleman that was replaced as the starter. I'm not 100% on that, but one of these guys was not on the board to begin with, which is why this game is currently off the board. I will say this, Matthew Boyd has given up three earned runs or more in all but three of his starts ever since the beginning of the month of June. Now, this is a guy that in recent form has been a little bit better, giving up two earned runs or fewer in two out of his last four starts. But the... Two starts sandwich in there. He gave up 11 runs combined in those two. Meanwhile, with Martin Perez, he got off to a very good start this year. He is now giving out right around four walks per nine innings, though. His ERA has climbed to a 460. His last two starts have been good. He combined 11 innings, giving up two runs, but the starts previous, well, they did not go as planned as before. He had given up three earned runs or more in... Nine out of 11 starts. Needless to say, that is pretty grody. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that seems to finally be emerging with their bats. It all started on Friday night when they got Roddy Rodriguez to go off for that grand slam. And with the Detroit Tigers, you've mitigated out a lot of the guys like Grayson Griner. Gordon Beckham, Jason Rogers, and all these guys are hitting a 225 or lower. As now you've got in there Victor Reyes, Hero Castro, and Miguel Caprero. All guys are hitting a 275 or greater. You're getting a little bit of something out of Bully Castro. He wound up making his debut yesterday. He looked pretty solid. He was able to get ahead. Travis Demerit is hitting nearly at 300 himself. And then you got Brandon Dixon, right now the best power bat of this team. 250 batting average, 14 home runs. Needless to say, that needs to improve a little bit with regards to the power, but this is a team that at the very least doing a better job of getting on base. And then you got the Minnesota Twins, who just have power all over the board. This is a team that... As of right now, is on pace to be able to break the record for most home runs in the year. Miguel Sano is leading the charge there. He's getting a home run every 11 at bats. Max Kepler is 35 home runs. Nelson Cruz 33 of them, and Cruz is hitting at 300. Jorge Polanco is hitting at 295. You've got in and out of the lineup guys like Mitch Garver who have like 20 home runs. Jake Cave is now hitting at 275. CJ Crone is back at the fold. He's got nearly 20 home runs. Byron Gonzalez is hitting at 265 with some power. The list goes on and on. These guys are just doing an absolutely magnificent job for the Minnesota Twins. And with Matthew Boyd, he is probably the guy that you're going to find the least amount of value with with any of these Detroit Tigers starters. I do think that there is going to be a good chance for an over if this total is set at 10 or lower. I do think the Tigers get some runs, but I think that the Twins... Get to Boyd. I know that the Tigers bullpen has also been better, but I do think that this is also going to be a situation in which the Twins are just going to be able to really erupt. So, my early lanes are Twins' run line and the over, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at 41 one for some plays there. 923, 924 on the betting rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays hit the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez goes for the Seattle Mariners. Clay Buckles for the Toronto Blue Jays. Total on this game 9 and 9.5. Over under, both at minus 110, if you're looking at the Blue Jays. Plus price here is anywhere between plus 122 and plus 126. Meanwhile, if you'd like to lay it with the Mariners, that's anywhere between minus 132 and minus 136. Clay Buckles making his first start in quite a while. He was actually very good last year with the Arizona Diamondbacks. This year, it has not been going so well. Meanwhile, Marco Gonzalez, I feel like, is the only guy that you can rely upon as a starter for the Seattle Mariners. 13-10 and 10 record. 430 ERA, does a very good job of pitching at home, giving up right around one home run per nine innings. He has been a rock for the team with regards to being able to give them length as well. He has given up more than three earned runs in really just two starts ever since the beginning of June when he gave up that 10th spot in four and two-thirds innings against the LA Angels to start out that month. He has been very rock solid ever since then. Meanwhile, for Buckles, this is a man that prior to going on the injured list was giving out right around two home runs per nine innings. was doing a decent job with his command, right around two and a half walks per nine innings, but a 6.57 ERA for him. This is going to be his first start ever since the month of May, so he is clearly going to be very, very rusty, and May 5th to add to that. So it's one of these things where you don't know what you're going to get there. You're probably not going to get a whole lot of length, and for the Seattle Mariners, you're getting some guys that are really emerging out there in the lineup. Kyle Seeger for the year. Only hitting right around a 245, but he has been on a power tear recently. Austin Noble is hitting above a 300. Then you got Omar Nevias and Thomas Murphy. A pair of catchers are hitting above a 275. Tim Lopez is hitting a 286 as well, but... With Murphy and Navias, these guys have combined for 30-plus home runs at the catcher spot. Malik Smith right now leads the league in regards to stolen bases. J.P. Crawford has set his batting average back above a .250. And then you've even got a couple guys like Ad Gordon that are able to produce. Daniel Vogelback only hitting a .220. That is a big issue, but he's got 28 home runs on base percentage right around a .350. But then you've got the famine bats for this team as well. Ryan Court, Mack Williamson, Dylan Moore, Keon Broxton, Jake Fraley, all guys are in a 220 or lower. Then you look at the flip side for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a team that had two guys with a batting average above a 240 in the starting lineup yesterday. But those two guys are pretty darn good. As Boba Shed has a 330 batting average, getting a home run every 13 or so events. Like Jr. hitting a 280 himself. Then you got a lot of pop out there with this lineup as well. Randall Gritchuk and Justin Smoke have combined for over 40 home runs. To Oscar Hernandez 19 home runs. You've got Billy McKinney, J- Danny Jansen and company. These guys need to pick it up. Kevon Vigio, they're all hitting below a two twenty five. but even Rowdy Telez in a very limited amount of at-bats, despite the fact that he's only hitting right around two he He's been able to supply 15 home runs, so this is a Toronto Blue Jays team that's able to take you deep, but I do like that Gonzalez is able to keep the game out in front of him. He does a good job of not getting taken yard. I think the Chloe Buckles not going to be long for this game. With the Toronto Blue Jays, they've got one of the better bullpen RAs out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, but with the the Seattle Mariners improving their bullpen as well. And Clay Buckles likely not going long, leading to the Toronto Blue Jays likely needing to get a whole bunch of innings out of their team. And the Seattle Mariners playing over 60% of their overs. It makes the plays in this one. The Mariners on the run line and the over. With regards to the over, I'm looking to see if I'm able to lay a little bit less juice. Certainly, the hook is a little bit... Noteworthy because if I'd be able to get like a minus 115 on a 9, I would certainly take it. So I'm in Wayne Seymour there. Meanwhile, with the Mariners' run line, that's plus 135 across the board. Looking to see if I'm able to get a little bit better. But if that's the best I can do, I'm certainly going to take it. 925, 926 on the bank rotation. The San Francisco Giants are staying in the Bay Area. And they are going to be on the road against the Oakland A's. Going for the Oakland A's in this one is going to be Brett Anderson. Meanwhile, Logan Webb toes the rubber for the San Francisco Giants. Your total on this game is nine, and you're seeing some nine nine and a halfs out there as well, so we're gonna give you the nines first. On the nines, your over is juicy minus 120, the under is even. Meanwhile, on the nine nine and a half's, the exact opposite, under is minus 120, the over is even. If you're looking at the A's, that is going to be anywhere between minus 143 and minus 147, plus price on the Giants is anywhere between plus 130 and plus 137, This is a spot where I think it's very intriguing because Logan Webb was very good at the AAA level. His first start against the Arizona Diamondbacks, goes five innings, gives up just one run, did a very good job of that. And at the AAA level, did a very good job giving up fewer than one home runs per nine innings. And this is in Oakland ballpark and it plays vastly different day to night. During the nighttime, very much pitcher friendly. During the daytime, though, it does seem to lend itself a little bit more to hitters. And with Brett Anderson, this is a guy that's registering right around five strikeouts per nine innings, but he's done a very good job of being able to keep games out in front of him. He's given up at least two earned runs in every one of his starts since the end of June, but at the same time, he's only given up more than three earned runs in two of those starts. And as a matter of fact, he's given up more than three earned runs in just three starts ever since since May 20th so he has been very solid there 10-9 to record six ERA not going to do anything with ISG, but at the same time he's going to be able to do a good job of being able to mitigate any damage that is done and for the San Francisco Giants this is a team with some interesting splits they're averaging right around 5.3 runs per game on the road at home more like 3.3 and they've got quite a few guys that are doing a better job with their batting average Stephen Boyd Mike Ustromski, Alex Dickerson, and Austin Slater. All guys are hitting a 275 or greater. Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Kevin Pillar all hitting in the 253 to 260 range. Do need Brandon Belt, Scooter Jeanette, and Brandon Crawford to pick it up. These guys are all hitting below a 235, but you are getting some pop from this team. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, this is a team that clearly hits lefties better than righties, but they've got a whole bunch of guys that are hitting between a 244 and a. 262. It's really interesting because Matt Chapman, Matt Olsen, Stephen Piscotti, Chad Pinder, Jeff Feagley all in that fold, and then you've got Marcus Simeon, who's doing a little bit better, 275 batting average, 20-plus home runs for him. Mark Canna has now batted for right around a 270 as well. His home run count currently at a 19, he's been solid, and then you've got the match. Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, they're both doing a great job of supplying some power. As Chapman, 29 home runs for him. Matt Olson, he has went deep 26 times, and you're noticing that Chris Davis was able to hit a home run a couple days ago. He and Drexler Pro Fire both hitting below a 220. They have really been laying the team down, but all in all, this is a lineup that is pretty solid with the San Francisco Giants. They're one of the top teams with regards to bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, but it has really slipped on them recently, so you do want to note that. Meanwhile, with the Oakland A's, ever since the All-Star break, they've been right around league average, maybe a little bit above it with regards to their bullpen ERA, but it seems like guys like Blake Tryon and Jake Diekman are doing a better job for the team as well. So for that reason... Looking at the A's, who entered into Saturday, winners of seven other, their last eight to be able to take this one. We're going to take them on the money line and this total under. Currently, we C see mode on the under, see if this is a number that ticks up a little bit since it is very heavily juiced. Meanwhile, with regards to the A's, we'd like to be able to lay a little bit less juice as well. We move on to 927, 928 on the bank rotation. The San Diego Padres playoffs of the Boston Red Sox. Brian Johnson goes for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, Joey Lucchese for the Pods. Your total on this game, 9.5. The under is juice of minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you're looking at the Red Sox, you're going to be getting a plus price here anywhere between plus 105 and plus 111. Meanwhile, if you want to lay it with the Pods, it's anywhere between minus 115 and minus 121. Joey Lucchese has some very interesting splits in that. On the road, his ERA is north of five. At home, ERA is hovering right around three. As for the year, he has a overall ERA of a 420, 8-7 record. He's been giving up right around 1.25 home runs per nine innings. But you take a look at recent form, hasn't necessarily been great, hasn't necessarily been awful, but you can assure yourself this. He's going to give a whole lot more length than Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson for the... Boston Red Sox right now a 6.58 ERA. The wholesale approach certainly will be on display for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, with the Padres, their bullpen, other than Kirby Yates has really been leaky this year, but I will say that their ERA is actually higher than their fielding independence. So they're doing for some good regression there. And for the Padres, this is a team that's not necessarily hitting for a great average. They now have Fernando Tatis Jr., who is out of the fold. But they do have a couple guys, Greg Garcia, Manny Machado, and Francisco Mejia hitting between a 264 and a .275. And in the case of Machado, 26 home runs for him. Eric Cosmer has been doing a solid job for this team all year long in all facets of hitting. 285 batting average. He's got right around 18 home runs, over 80 RBI. Hunter Renfro only hitting 230, but he's got 31 home runs. Manuel Margot is hitting right around a 245, but then you've got Luis Areyes Austin Hedges, Will Myers, and Ian Kinsler and Kinsler's on the injured list. All these guys hitting a 230 or lower tie France, you have to throw into that fold as well. Sorry about forgetting him. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, this is the team that is scoring the most runs per game out there in the big leagues. And you got Christian Vasquez, Andrew Benatendi, and Mookie Betts all in between a 280 and a 286. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Shady Martinez. These guys are supplying the boom. And they're all hitting between a 307 and a 330, with all these guys hitting 27 to 29 home runs. Mitch Moore Leonard, for cents coming off the injured list has really upped his batting average. Bronco, Marco Hernandez, all guys are in a 300 or higher as well. Though the Red Sox entered into Saturday 35-27 on the road and the Padres below 500 at home, I do think that this is a spot in which the Padres are going to win. Now keep in mind, the Padres have actually been the worst team as a favorite so far this year, but with the Boston Red Sox having to trot out their Brian Johnson, just not necessarily ideal. I think the bullpen could do a decent job from there, but I do think that Joey Lucchese, it's going to be able to hold down these very talented boss Red Sox bats and deliver an under along with Padres win. With the Padres, I've already locked that in. And with this total, I actually got an under at plus money with the 9 instead of 9.5. So already locked that in. We are good to go on both of these. We wrap things up with 929, 930 on the bank rotation. The LA Dodgers are going to be playing also the New York Yankees. Domingo Hernandez goes for the New York Yankees. Clayton Kershaw for the LA Dodgers. Your total on this game is anywhere between 8.5, and, and I'm seeing a 9.5 out there as well. I think the 9.5 is a typo because even the 9.5 has juice of minus 115 on the over. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, you're going to be getting a... Price of anywhere between minus 170 and minus 179. Meanwhile, the plus price on the Yankees, anywhere between plus 155 and plus 162. This is a spot where I've got to take a look at the Yankees. Domingo Ramon. If you bet $100 on every one of his starts so far this year, he is among the top three in regards to most profitable pitchers. you made over $900 off of him. This is a gentleman that certainly has been giving up the long ball a little bit despite his 16-3 and record. He's giving up 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Meanwhile, in Clayton Kershaw's starts, the LA Dodgers are 18-4. and But I will say this, Clayton Kershaw has had a little bit of a tendency to give up runs early, and I believe that he's given up more than two earned runs and just one start ever since the All-Star break. Ever since the All-Star break, he has been magnificent. The swing and miss stuff starting to get a little bit better. But with the New York Yankees, you also do have a very fearsome lineup that has been playing over 70% of its games on the road this year to the over. You've got guys like Gary Sanchez that are able to go yard. He's got 28 home runs. Batting average is hovering right around a .236, but all in all, it's done a solid job there. You've got Mike Tauchman who's hitting at .295. Gio Urshela and DJ LeMahieu both hitting above a .230. D.D. Gregorius and Aaron Judge seem to be getting on track. Aaron Judge was able to get his 15th home run of the year yesterday. D.D. Gregorius has two home runs in the series already. Gleyber Torres has right around 29 home runs. He's hitting at .290. Brett Gardner is back at the fold. He's hitting above a 250 and even Austin Romine when he's at the catcher spot hitting a 270. Meanwhile with the Dodgers this is a team that's getting it from all angles as Cody Bellinger has just over 40 home runs. He's hitting a 315, nearly 100 RBI and then Max Muncy joins him in the power department with over 30 home runs. He's hitting right around a 255 AJ Pollock has been doing a better job of getting on base. He's raised his average to a 265 and Chris Taylor hitting in that neighborhood as well along with Corey Seager. Kiki Hernandez has come back to the fold, and ever since coming off the injured list, he's looked a little bit better. Matt Beattie, whenever he needs to play the outfield, hitting just below 300. Jock Peterson, only hitting at 230, but he's still got 24 home runs for the year he's just been. A little bit rusty ever since the All Star break. And Will Smith still certainly getting jiggy with a 305 batting average. He's getting a home run a little bit over once every eight at bats. It's absolutely insane what he's doing. Adjusted Turner down for what? He's hitting a 290. He's got 23 home runs. He's really heated up. With the Dodgers, they've got a better bullpen than people will give them credit for. Third best out there in the National League, but we saw Kenley Jansen very nearly blow another save yesterday. And with the Yankees, you've got guys like Tommy Canley, Adam Adovino, Aroldis Chapman, and Zach Britton that you're able to turn it over to as long as you can get five strong innings. And I do think that Domingo Roman is going to be able to do his job. I certainly do think that Clayton Kershaw is going to be able to give a solid start here, but I do think that in this pitcher's world, the Yankees are going to be able to prevail because I do think that they just have a little bit more balance with regards to their total lineup and I feel like the bats are in a little bit of better recent form. So, for that reason, taking the massive plus price here with the Yankees and the total under, I've already locked in the total under. I do like the fact that I'm getting good juice on the under of 8.5, and, and with the Yankees, I saw this at plus 165. I just don't think that you're going to get better value than that, so I already locked that in as well. And that will do it for the Sunday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Patrick Creighton of SB Nation Radio and ESPN 9875 out there in Houston for joining me in the second segment. If like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it at GNR41 and let's make today a successful, profitable and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.